Good morning, GLC family. How are you this morning? Yeah? You got me again this morning, right? You, you had the five-minute countdown to get out of here, so if you're still here, you got to hang on there. Um, Pastor Andrew's on assignment this week. He, he, he was asked to renew the valves of, of a couple in our church over the weekend, so, um, but he'll be back next week, so just bear with me for a moment. Amen? Um, my name is Moises. I'm the associate pastor here at GLC, and um, just know, whether you like it or not, it is a pleasure for me to be able to bring the word to you this morning. Amen? Um, and today we'll, we'll continue the sermon series titled Never Normal, which kind of goes with me a little bit. Um, becoming more like Jesus, right? Um, last week we looked at being just like Jesus and how Peter followed the lead of Jesus and in doing so miraculous things um, began to happen. Uh, we looked at never being normal in our calling, love, devotion. Um, and today, this morning, we'll continue the series, but I want two words to stick with you this morning as we start. Um, and I want these words to, to kind of mean something. I want you to think of the words passing through, passing through. Um, back in the day, we would hear people say things like, uh, especially Christian people, you'll hear people say, um, this world is not my home. We're, we're on this world, but we're not of it, right? People will say things like, I'm only just passing through. And in the contrary, in 2021, what we see people say in the statements that those statements have been replaced by are statements like, living my best life. Or you only live once. Your best life is now. <laughs> people are getting excited. <laughs> That's supposed to be a negative reference. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, my best life is now. No, you're missing it. <laughs> so, so there seems to be this rising level of constant pursuit, especially from our Christian community, for the comfort that this life or this world has to offer. Now, there's nothing wrong with wanting to have a good life here on earth, but there is a problem when this becomes the sole purpose of our life here. You know, speaking of purpose, how often do we actually think about it? Individually, as you sit here this morning, how often do you think about your purpose or your calling or what you're being called to today in this moment? How did you even come to know about your purpose? How did you even come to know about your, your calling? There's nothing wrong, right, with wanting to have a good life, but, but... It could be extremely difficult for us to focus on our heavenly purpose when all we're constantly thinking about is the comforts that these, this life may have to offer us and the things that we may be able to accomplish. Now, the Bible actually insists on highlighting people that were called, that had a purpose from God, and these things that went completely against their comfort zone. You see guys back to back, women in scripture being called to ministry from God, constantly being called out of their comfort zone. Moses was called to leave his job to confront Pharaoh and lead the people of Israel to freedom. Joshua was commanded to lead the fearful Israelites into battle for freedom into a promised land. Nehemiah 
was called to leave his comfortable job and place and become the leader who would help rebuild a wall around Jerusalem. Gideon, Esther, Mary was called to become a teenage mother before she even had a husband. Jesus was called to die an excruciating death so that you and I could be saved. Paul was called to preach to the very people he had been persecuting. Not only that, but he was called not only to preach to the people he was persecuting, but he was called to preach to those who were persecuting with him. Could you imagine? Like you were bad to certain people, but now the people that you were being bad with, you also have to turn around and say, listen, hey, I've changed. Things are different now. And God walked all of them through their purpose and helped them every step of the way. But comfort was never the priority. Man, you're like, I wish I should have left. I should have left. I should have left. You know, today's tendency is to marry our call and our purpose with what we know to do or what we're good at. We marry our call and our purpose with what we love to do. Right? To the point that if, if, if our call and our purpose does not meet this criteria, we're, we're willing to kind of just say, this is not of God. And we give no choice to it. Right? When it comes to our calling, it is always about who you are. It's not really about what you do. Now, here, here's the question. Would anything change in your life if you realize that your calling and your purpose here on earth is all about who you are and not really what you're going to do? Would you look at life a little bit different if that were to be the case? You're saying, Moises, but I mean, you're saying who, who is, it's about who we are, so, so who are we? And I'm going to get real practical here, and we're going to kind of dive in uh, as far as that becoming more like Jesus. What we are is number one in your note sheets is we're citizens of heaven. We're citizens of heaven. Say it with me. I'm a citizen of heaven. I'm telling you what, that's something that we don't think about every day. In Philippians chapter 3, verse 17 to 20, it says, Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. For I have told you often before, and I would say it again with tears in my eyes, that there are many whose conduct shows they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things, and they, they think only about this life here on earth. But we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly waiting for him to return as our Savior. It's tough to read a verse like this, right? To read a verse that kind of clears it all up for you. You're not part of this. You know, if all you think about is earth and what the earth has to offer, then, then you're missing it a little bit. You're actually heading for destruction. If your constant obsession is about this life and what you could accomplish in it, right? You have to understand that as Christians, we are no longer citizens of this world. By choosing to follow Jesus, you have become a stranger and an alien on this earth. We are pilgrims on a journey through the world, and we are on our way to a new home. In, in, in relation to, to our life's journey, its value and direction, heaven is our destination. That's, that's a morning thought. All of us should wake up every morning 
when thinking about purpose and calling and, and what, what we ought to do in life, that should be something. My destination is heaven. We have been born from above. Our names are written in heaven's directory. Our lives are guided by heavenly standards and our, our rights and inheritance are reserved in heaven. In Hebrews chapter 11, verse 16, it says, But they were looking for a better place, a heavenly homeland. That is why God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. That's our hope. That's our hope. Things could be really difficult in your life, and we could pray to God to come in and step in and do amazing things in your life today, but the reality is that our hope is found in what we're going to accomplish when we get to heaven, what we're going to receive when we get to heaven. That is the ultimate price. We may be residents of the USA, but our true citizenship and loyalty resides in heaven. One of the craziest things to see is people who are wrapped up in this world so much that they actually think that God's clock revolves around the events that take place in their countries. And I know, I know there's prophecy. I get it. I get it. There's prophetic words that, that kind of bring signs of the future. And I, I understand all that, right? But our countries are not the pendulum of God. God doesn't move because of the events that take place in our countries. You know, that, that, that's not what moves God. I, I mean, you know, I, you would think, and, and let me bring some perspective to this, stuff, to this thought, right? You know, Puerto Rico is a small island, right? Yeah, it's a tiny little island. I, I used to know this lady that I work with, all right? She was all about prophecy, right? Super prophetic, like, you know what I'm saying? Just constantly listening to stuff, and, which is great, you know, but, <clears throat> man, she would, like, lay papers and maps on my desk, like a flood, and, like, I mean, Puerto Rico is already small, and she had it flooding, like, halfway through. I mean, it was like, she's like, have you called your family? And, like, you know what I'm saying? God is coming. And I'm just like, wow, God's clock revolves around Puerto Rico. It's crazy. I never thought it would happen this way, right? But, but we tend to get so wrapped up in the things happening in our own countries that we think that somehow God is bound to those events, right? And, and, and I mean, you know, if our lives simply revolve around the events that take place on a daily basis, then, then when verse 9 says, verse 9 says that we are headed for destruction. We are headed for destruction. There is nothing good that will be found in that. You know, the, 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 the best way to find a meaningful framework for your story is to pursue an eternal perspective. So before you decide to affiliate yourself with something, understand that you already have an affiliation. You and I are not being called to disciple people to political parties. We are called to make disciples of Jesus. As difficult as that may seem, the gospel is not about what we stand against, it's about what we stand for. We get so wrapped up in the things surrounding I don't blame you. It's pretty practical, right? If my son has an accident and he hurts himself, you're like, hey, Moises, are you thinking about your eternal perspective? You don't know. My son just hurt himself, so I get it, right? But we have to make sure that we stay focused and understand that the things going on around us don't dictate what our God is capable of doing. 
and where our eternity is going to be spent. You are a citizen of heaven, right? You live in the U.S., I know. Greatest country in the world. Woo! <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. You won't clap when I say you're a citizen of heaven, but I say that the U.S. is the greatest country in the world. Everybody goes crazy. <laughs> no, that's good. That's good. I believe in that. I believe in that. <laughs> so we cannot, why, why can't we be consumed by this life? Because point number two, we're just passing through. We're just passing through. We're just passing through. Right? 1 Peter 2, 11 to 12, it says, Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners, all right, that's us, to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very soul, right? Be, be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. All of us, right? You see our neighbors, we behave. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honorable behavior, right? And they will give honor to God when, they, when he judges the world. Don't be confused. We are called to this world, but we are not of it. Therefore, we shouldn't stay. We are just passing through. Say it with me. I'm not staying. All right. This may be the biggest challenges for believers, right? We simply stay too long. We stay too long. It actually, staying, when you said that, you re it reminded you of a movie, right? Yeah. yeah, it reminds me of a movie. Every time I talk about staying too long, it reminds me of that movie Left Behind, right? If you're young in the room, you don't remember it. If, if, if that was like the Christian horror movie back in the days, all right? <laughs> would we agree? Um, so, so we would watch that. You can't watch it at night. I couldn't sleep. You know what I'm saying? Forget grace. We're all staying. It's crazy. So I did this thing, right? Uh, we were watching this movie. Rosie, my wife Rosie, which I love, she's in the nursery, thank God, because I get to tell this story freely and just hear about it later. <clears throat> she, was, she, was, she always falls asleep, all right? She's, she's a very heavy sleeper, right? She could fall asleep if the world could be falling apart and she's asleep. And, the other, and the, on the other side, you won't know this about me, I, I stay awake, right? I don't fall asleep sitting down. I have to, I'm one of those guys that turn off the lights. It's got to be dark. Don't have the TV on. I got to be laying down on a bed or some kind of surface. I'm that guy, you know, on the trip to Florida, 10 hours in, just like, you know, like I can't, I can't fall asleep, <clears throat> right? So early on in our marriage, we would watch these movies, right? Not just the Left Behind movies. We would just watch movies in general. I don't want to make it seem that that's all we watch. But... We would watch these movies, right? And, and, and um, one night, I was frustrated because she fell asleep again, right? We put on a movie, and Rosie fell asleep, right? And we had just wa got done watching. And you might have heard this story. I think I told this story a while back. So I, I got super creative. It hit me. I'm like, I'm going to leave her behind, all right? So <clears throat> we're in our movie room upstairs, Right, and we're watching this movie, and she's just zoned out. I, I'm to the point where like, I, I'm watching the movie, and you don't realize it. You know, I feel like, like so dumb, because I'm like, I'm like sharing the movie with her. Like, oh my gosh, that was crazy. And then I realize like she's asleep, and I'm like, you know, I have that horrible moment where I feel like I'm alone in this world, and nobody's there with me. So then what I did, and this is gonna get a little graphic here, okay? I I, I got completely naked. All right, and I just laid all my clothes on the recliner like that. Ask her. When you see her, ask her. 
I did it. Got super creative. Got completely naked. Left the clothes on the recliner and just like <laughs> went downstairs. Went to sleep. Forget it. I went to sleep. I was like, she's left behind. She's left behind. <laughs> Pastor Moises went on to be with the Lord, right? So, <clears throat> so in the middle of the night, she gets up, right? Because I don't know if the credits were on. I don't know what happened, all right? She gets up and she's screaming. Ah! And I'm like, you sinner, you stayed. <laughs> you sinner, you. Of course, Pastor Voices would have left. Now she's screaming around the house like, Voices, where are you? And when she sees me laying in the bed, she just says, you're so stupid. <laughs> and I'm like, be careful. You're going to stay behind. So... <clears throat> that had nothing to do with what I was going to say here. So um, it just reminds me of that left behind kind of concept, right? Um, <laughs> yeah, she still doesn't think that's funny. So if you bring it up to her, just kind of ease in there with it. Um, <clears throat> so as followers of Christ, our new destination as God's own possession sets us apart from the corrupt ways of this world, right? What does that mean? That means that we don't identify with, nor do we give in to the deceptive and destructive influence of the sur surrounding society that we live in. Our society is trying to dictate every step of our way, of what we do and how we do it and what we view to be as normal, right? But although we are simply passing through, this does not mean that we get to put ourselves under a rock and not be the driving force in this world. I believe that if anyone should be driving, it should be us. Right? We are the influencers. Did you know that you're an influencer? Sounds funny, but you are. You should be. Our lives should stand out in the positive way from people in the world so that they... they they can see the example of what it's like to be a Christ follower. Our aim is not to be different just to be different or to isolate ourselves from the rest of society. Rather, our goal is to reflect Christ's character and shine His light in spiritual dark places. This will work. You have to believe it will work. The saddest thing is to see believers take, take matters into their own hands, right? Simply because they don't see things work the way they thought they would, that it would, right? I, I don't know if you've ever been in that situation, but as, as Christians, a lot of times we pray to God and we try to ask God to help us and to step in into a season of life. And when God doesn't quickly act upon what we are asking Him to do, we tend to kind of take matters into our own hands, right? We may pray for the neighbor that one day where he was being nasty with us but then the next day we're like you know what bro you know and we just kind of lose it a little bit right maybe not maybe that's just me <laughs> um, you know most people are still searching for satisfaction and significance in life even those people that you see on a day-to-day -day basis. And if we could find a way to reflect God's uncommon and undeniable peace and purpose, people will take notice. You got to look at every soul as a soul that, that is out there, right? Neediness, living life like they have something, but they don't. You may say, Moises, I got it. But what I'm trying to remind us is that Peter is saying that there is a war waging inside of all of us against our very soul. The saddest part about that statement is that people live around and we don't even realize it. 
that there's a war taking place inside all of us and we're completely unaware we must be very careful of these worldly desires that come up and hit our lives where they can distract us it doesn't necessarily have to be sin it can be ambition money is not the root of all evil the love of money is the root of all evil right the enemy wants us chasing after stuff and that is the reality comfort is stuff right I've never seen a U-Haul on the back of a hearse have you anyone hey make sure you pack my stuff I'm getting ready to go no right you're gone somebody else is getting the U-Haul <laughs> you laugh but it's true when our mind changes and, and, and we begin to understand these principles you will start to notice that that your status in this planet is really not that important we we find a parable in Luke chapter 12 uh, starting in verse 16 when Jesus tells the story of the rich fool and it's it's one of the most eye-breaking I mean groundbreaking stories that kind of caught my attention early on in my faith when when I read this right the Bible says the 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 ground of a certain rich man yield an abundance an abundant harvest he thought to himself what shall I do I have no place to store my crops then he said this is what I will do I will tear down my barns and build bigger ones and there will I, I will store my surplus grain and I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up in, in, for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, you fool. This very night, your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it would be with whoever stores up things for themselves, but is not rich towards God. Right? If I were to ask, are you a fool? No, man, come on, take it easy. I'm not a fool, right? All of us would agree to that. But do we live like it, right? Do we get blinded by the things these world, this world has to offer, our wants and desires that aren't wrong? But we need to prioritize what we're doing and how we're doing it, right? You're like, ah, I, I, but I need more. I don't have enough in life. How am I going to pay for my kids' uh, college education and the, the, all the things that I need? I don't have enough. I need to work a little bit harder. In a few years, let me, let me just save up a little bit of money, right? There's two ways to have enough. This is a principle. There's two ways to have enough. You can accumulate and work hard and keep accumulating and keep building barns and trying to accumulate, or you can just simply desire less. You're like, ah, oh, come on. That is not ambition, right? Desire less, what kind of complacent, like? But think about it. You're breaking your back, wanting more, losing sight of your purpose and calling because you're blinded. But what you feel you need when there's a God looking over you saying, I got you. I have everything under control, right? When we get to heaven, no one's going to ask you how much you have in the bank, how much property you own, what kind of car you drove, 
where did you go to college, how many records you held, how many albums you sold, what movies you started in, right? The only question that you'll be asked is whether you were a believer in Jesus Christ or not, right? We find creative ways of presenting the gospel to people and even keep up with what's going on around us, even with the young people, right? But we must remember that our ultimate destination surpasses and it's more important than all these things. It's all about having the right perspective. That is what I mean by about not staying too long, right? Just passing through. Therefore, understand that Christianity is not about what you're living without. It's about what you are living with or for, right? Embrace who God has created you to be. Now, if we're citizens of heaven, simply passing through, what are we here for? The question is, what are we here for? You're saying, Moises, we're citizens of heaven, just passing through. So what are we here for? Number three, we're on assignment from God. We're on assignment from God. Acts chapter 20, verse 24 says, But my life is worth nothing to me unless I use it to finish the work assigned me by the Lord Jesus, the work of telling others the good news about the wonderful grace of God. Paul's main concern was not preserving his own life. In fact, he was all about finishing the work that God had assigned to him. Whatever happened, however it happened, even if it cost him his life, he would finish the assignment. You may be thinking, Moises, but what, what, what is our assignment? What, what are you talking about? We're on assignment from God to do what? And, and I have some sub points there. Number one, to bring in the harvest. To bring in the harvest. Luke chapter 19 verse 10 says, For the Son of Man came to seek and save those who were lost. It's funny because that statement was made by Jesus after he was invited to have dinner with, um, with Zacchaeus. Who had a horrible reputation like a cutthroat tax collector. He makes this statement. That wasn't going to stop Jesus from doing what he was being called to do. Jesus said, heal people, don't need doctors, sick people do. Don't be afraid to get your hands dirty. Forgiveness is not about keeping score, it's about losing count. It happens in your life every single day. But when we deal with other people who are in sin, we feel like we're getting our hands dirty. We walk around daily just being supported by God's grace and God's mercy. But we have found ourselves to separate, right? Jesus did not come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. Sometimes we can be too judgmental. Let's not try to judge by what we see. Remember that the same grace that covers an open struggle is the same grace that covers your secret one. Tell the person next to you, I have a secret one. I can't believe you did it. That's pretty good. You admitted to it. That's a start. We, we're there, okay? We're getting there, Linda. They, they admitted to it. That's a start. We're getting somewhere. It's the same grace. Just because yours is secret doesn't mean that it's not a struggle, right? doesn't mean that it doesn't require grace that's the reality we all have to walk in we're so judgmental of people that have open struggles right man should have left 
told you you should have left. Andrew will be back next week. <laughs> so <clears throat> I, I think, you know, one of the, one of the, the amazing parts, and I, I've always been impacted by this, is the, the, you know, remembering your purpose and your calling will keep you focused, right? In the Gospel of Mark, it's not known to be a gospel that shares a lot of detail, but um, if we all know the story of Jesus coming up, um, uh, P, um, Peter coming up to Jesus when Jesus is telling his disciples that he's going to die, the Bible says that uh, uh, Peter interrupts Jesus and says, hey, pulls him to the side, listen, you don't have to die. We could run to the mountains, hide, do all these things, right? And, and you don't have to do it. And, and that's the famous statement when, where, where Jesus says, you know, part from me, Satan, you know, and he calls Peter Satan and all this other stuff. And, you know, but, but the, the Gospel of Mark shares an interesting detail in that story that, that already impacted my life forever. Um, it's, it's that Jesus looks at him, and the Bible says that before he, he rebukes him, the, the Gospel of Mark says that, it says, and Jesus looked and turned to his disciples. Before he rebukes Peter, Jesus looks at his disciples. He doesn't say anything to them. The Bible says, and Jesus looked at his disciples and then looked back at Peter. See, I'm a firm believer that I was sitting right there. He looked at his purpose. Right? He's being convinced to not suffer, to not go and die, to go and hide. But Jesus looked at his disciples. And then turns to Peter and said, get, get, get out of my face. I got a job to do. You were sitting right there. When Jesus turned and looked, you were sitting right there. Purpose, your purpose and your calling would change your perspective. Looking just back for a little bit. And just keeping the right perspective and what you are and what you're called to do will help you accomplish a lot more than what your desires tell you you need. We have to be people and Christians and believers that are focused on what God has called us as individuals to accomplish. And not be distracted by the nice and beautiful things that this world has to offer. Especially when it's going to take us off the rails. All right, I lost myself here. I didn't have that on my notes. Now I'm like, okay, number two. Why? Bring in the, <laughs> to bring in the harvest. Why? Because the harvest is ready. Because the harvest is ready. In John chapter 4, verse 35, it says, you know the saying, four months between planting and harvest. But I say, wake up and look around. The fields are already ripe for harvest. What are we waiting for? The people to which you are called are ready. We simply need to wake up and see them. They're there. You're like, no, they're not. Yes, they are. We need to get out of our selfish mindsets and start looking at others as eternal souls. Jesus challenges his followers to always remember that those who are spiritually lost have a priceless eternal soul and will spend eternity somewhere. That perspective needs to be part of us. We need to understand that that's an eternal soul that you're looking at, that you're interacting with. They're going to spend eternity somewhere. 
You could walk away and go about your life, right? But you just walked away from an eternal soul. Somebody that's going to spend eternity either in heaven or in hell. You can live with that. That's fine. But have the right perspective. It'll change the way you interact with people. You may have a hard time looking at things this way because you can't stop thinking about yourself. That may be the problem. A lot of people, it's funny because you find a lot of people seeking for happiness, longing for it. They, can, they desire it. They don't, I, I, need, I'm, I need peace, man. I, I just can't stop. I got so many things going on and so many things going on and so many things. That, that may be the problem. You may be seeking for hope and peace in all the wrong places. Gandhi actually said it like this. He said, the best way to find yourself is to lose yourself in the service to others. If you're having a hard time figuring out what your life is all about, just start serving other people. Just start serving other people. Get out of your mindset for a second, right? Stop pursuing this endless thing that you just can't seem to grab and allow yourself to be a blessing to other people which I believe is what you're called to do from God. Many people are spiritually ready to receive the message. They could be saved only if someone presents them with the good news of forgiveness and new life found in Jesus. Many people. Many people. You know, I, 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 I've, given up in people, I've given up on people in my life, and every time I've done it, God has shown me differently. I've looked at people after I pursue them for their faith and try to help them and come on, you could do this, and oh, there you go again, he's sinning again, or doing whatever he was doing that he's trying to stop, and I just get fed up with it, and I say, oh, forget it, I'll move on to the next person, and every time, God has found a way to bring those people around again, and show me different. God has a way, God has a way of doing things, so our perspective should be the right one. <clears throat> Number three, work while there is still day. Work while, there's, while it is still day. John chapter 9 verse 4 said, We must quickly carry out the task assigned to us by the one who sent us. The night is coming and then no one can work. We, we must reach them with the love and message of Christ while there is still that time. You're like, time, Moises. Time? I don't have any time. I work every day. You're a pastor. You do this for a living. You have time. You go do it. Right? Time. I don't have time. Now, I'm here to tell you that it's, you're rejecting, our rejection of this call has nothing to do with time. It has a lot to do with your willingness and your desire to do it. God is not asking us to spend more time. He's asking us to start by being willing. You know, before I became a pastor, I became a pastor, which I, I, I became a full-time pastor in 2020, but I, I did full-time, not, not full-time ministry, I did ministry for many years while I had a full-time job. I went to Bible seminary for four years with a full-time job, okay, and spent every Monday from 6.30 to 10.30 at night in Bible seminary for four years of my life. Of course, the breaks in between and all that good stuff, right? I get it. All right, school, schedule. But it's going to take a little bit more. It's going to take for you to step up. God is not going to align, align your schedule to be this thing, right? 
I would, how would I get my sermons? I would work 40 to 50 hours a week, and then I had to preach out of church. I mean, one year, I remember, and I, I told Pastor Mike this, I, I preached for 22 Sundays out of the year. There's 52 weeks in a year. And, but I wasn't doing full-time ministry. At that point, I could have looked at God and said, listen, when you're ready, let me know, because I just don't have any time. But God, it all starts with our willingness, right? We serve a God. Let me tell you, we serve a God of compactness, of, of, of briefness, shortness. It could be done. Jesus, look, his greatest sermon could be read in eight minutes. His best-known story could be read in 90 seconds. He summarized prayer in five phrases. He silenced accusers with one challenge. He rescued a soul with one sentence. He summarized the law in three verses. He reduced all his teachings to one command. Jesus did his thing and went home. He's not asking you to do anything he hasn't done before. We get too caught up in the size of the assignment. In the size of the assignment. And the size of the assignment never determines the significance of the impact. But, but, but one day, you, know, you may not be called to everyone, but you're called to someone. I mean, I, I, I mean, you could play tapes of me saying that here constantly. We're all called to something. You're called to something today. What are we waiting for? What are we waiting for? We must work while it's still day. The harvest is ready. We are being called to bring that harvest in. That's not the church's job. Well, guess what? The church is you. You see those people every day. You work with them. Leading me to my next point is that we need to pray for more workers. We need to pray for more workers. And in Matthew chapter 9, verse 35 to 38, it's a very well-known verse. It says, Jesus traveled through all the towns and villages of that area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and, and he healed any, every kind of disease and, and illness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless, like sheep without a shepherd. He said to his disciples, the harvest is great, but the workers are few. So pray to the Lord who is in charge of the harvest. Ask him to send more workers into his fields. Hmm. That last verse expresses one of God's most important spiritual principles about our action and part of this plan that he's calling us to. Our, our calling isn't about something important that we're going to do in the future. It's about our faithfulness to Jesus today. Stop waiting on the I event to happen. All right? We have to stop waiting for things to just happen and take place or for people to do the job that we're being called to do. To do the job that we're being called to do. Now, did you know that hope is never, it's never found circumstantially? Hope is found in our purpose. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 18 says, I pray that your hearts will be flooded with, this, with, with light so that you could understand the confidence hope he has given those he called. 
his holy people who are rich and glorious inheritance. But why is he asking us to pray? Because we must start somewhere, right? Before God takes action, he usually inspires his people to pray. Only after they have prayed does he respond to his desire. Now, this is mind-blowing to me because when you think of a God who's in, in charge of the harvest and he has all this under control, this means that God has personally limited himself, choosing to accomplish his plan only to the prayer of faithful people like you and me. He's not limited because we limited him. He has chosen to be limited for you and I to pray. You know, the kind of people that Jesus desires in his kingdom are those who are willing and are spiritually prepared to spread his message and teach others what it means to follow Jesus and live according to his purpose. You know, I, I can't, you know, you read statistics about this, and in August we're going to jump into this evangelism series, but you read statistics about Christians and, and how 90% of people haven't even ever had the Jesus, believers haven't had the conversation with anyone about the gospel and Jesus and presenting them with the gospel, you know, about how 80% of people will be willing to come to church if just one person would ask them to, right? So I would say this, don't ever underestimate what God is capable of doing through you today. You might look at it as this insignificant, but not all of us are called to be Paul. Get it? We may not all be called to be Paul, but we are all called to have a willingful spirit like Ananias. Ananias was the, the one called to lay hands on Paul while God was calling him. In fact, when God is calling him, God, God is, he, Ananias, God tells Ananias, go. You're going to meet this guy, Saul, at the time, right? And Ananias says, no, that's that guy, right? That kills Christians and does all kinds of crazy. You realize that, God, right? Sounds like many of us, right? Like God doesn't know, right? Let me, let me just tell you, God, before you keep going, you, you might have missed this. Not that you miss anything, but, you know, I'm just going to throw it out there, right? And Jesus, I mean, God says to him, but the Lord said to him, Go, for this man is my chosen instrument to take my name to the Gentiles, kings, and the Israelites. We have no record of whether Ananias and Saul became best buddies after that moment. We don't know if Ananias went on to do big things in the church and the world. For all we know, this man disappeared from Saul's life after he became Paul, just like he disappeared from Scripture. We aren't all going to be the one out in front, the one leading the crowd, the one who's being recognized by the big impact, but all of us are called to be Ananias. We are meant to be looking and looking with expectation for where the sovereign hand of God is positioning us. God did not create us to be takers. He created us to be givers. Can you be part of an early and earthly interaction that will end up having heavenly results, right? Ananias' interaction and his faithfulness to God resulted in uh, he made uh, Paul made three long 
missionary journeys through the Rome Empire, planting churches, preaching the gospel, and giving strength and encouragement to the early Christians. Out of the 27 books in the New Testament, he is credited to be the author of 13 of them. And Ananias said, God, he's mean though. And God said, you must go. Because this guy's a big deal. You're like, poor Ananias. God could have just chosen him to do the job. I don't know where Ananias is, but I'm, I'm sure he doesn't regret following the lead of God on that assignment. I don't know what he ever thought of that moment, but I'm sure wherever he is, Ananias looks back and says, wow, that's a God of plan and purpose right there. I thought it was just one interaction. Man, I thought it was just a simple assignment where I was going to just talk to this stubborn, mean guy. And it had nothing to do with the rest of my life. And this guy goes on to change the church forever. One interaction. One interaction. One purpose. One call. One assignment. All of us in this room need to have that willing spirit of Ananias. Because we don't know what kind of impact we'll make it. Every single interaction has a purpose and a plan that could go for a long, a long period of time. I look at my life and I think back. My dad was a planter of a church. He's actually planting a church in South Boulevard. My dad literally started planting a church in Puerto Rico with 20 folding seats. He literally went to a town about an hour away from where he, the church that him and my mom grew up. They got married bought a house in this town, okay, and took 20 folding chairs and a little speaker with a microphone and went to the city. And in their carport, they would have these church meetings What it would just be my mom, me, and my brother, and my dad. My dad will preach, my mom will sing, we would all clap, and then we would go to sleep. All right, and little by little, one person showed up, and another person showed up. Next thing you know, my dad's building a church right next to that in the property right next to us for people to meet. There's, I remember it like today as I was a kid, six years old. I remember a power cord being ran from my house all the way across to the church because that's the only way the church had power. And we're preaching to people and never did you intend to know or my dad knew that I was going to be before you today preaching this gospel. You one interaction obedience to one thing, one perspective, willingness to make an impact on God knows what. We have to be willing. Our perspective needs to change. You are citizens of heaven passing through, being called to people today. Let's pray. What could possibly be limiting us today? What gets in the way? What could possibly be getting in the way? Dear God, Lord, I, I haven't always been obedient to what you've called me to do. But today, here we are, Lord, we're in this, we meet you here, Lord, and we're talking to you about 
this calling, this purpose that, that seems to be evident for all of us in the room today, Lord. We, we're not measuring sizes in, 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 in the, the, the size of the assignment. Today we're just measuring and, and, and seeking out after what you are calling us to do today, Lord. Everyone in this room, I believe, Lord, has an assignment from you today that they could walk into today, Lord, and start that journey now. So, Lord, would you open our eyes, prepare our hearts and our minds, Lord, to receive from you what you have in store. Help us to prioritize, Lord, so that we may find you. If there's peace miss missing, Lord, if there's, if there's this fear that, that kind of guides us and, and leads us, Lord, help us, Lord, to understand that if we change our perspective, to think like you, to desire you, to desire heaven, our lives will be changed forever, Lord. We are seeking, Lord, a heavenly perspective this morning. Would you forgive us, God? Please forgive us. Because we don't think like you. We don't see like you see. We don't hear like you hear, Lord. And we don't feel like you feel, God. We go about our lives like nothing is happening. Like it's all about the next move, Lord. And today we just kind of desire, Holy Spirit, your guidance. Be a priority in our lives this morning, Lord. As we leave this place, let us be purposeful about the actions we take for the sake of your kingdom. We want to honor you in everything that we do, Lord, so that we bring glory to your name and that we walk into that calling like you want us to. Thank you so much for the willingness of the hearts this morning. For those who will say, I will. Make a commitment with God this morning. Lift your hands with me. And say, I will walk into my purpose. I need your heavenly perspective. Help me, God. I need you. Amen. Amen. Can we give it up for God this morning? Praise God. Thank <clears throat> you.